Bitcoin to me is money at the end of the day. And that might sound like a simple answer, but money is something that is so fundamental to the way our societies function, as I'm sure you know, as many viewers will also know. It forms the basis of all of our trading and savings and investment. And so when I started noticing a lot of things in the world that seemed very backwards, Bitcoin to me kind of like appears as a solution. So to me, Bitcoin is, is money, it's a revolution, and it's a solution to many of the problems that we are facing today. Happy 2024. Welcome to the first episode of the year of the Block Reward podcast. Our guest this week is Zach Winard. Zach is a fellow Canadian Bitcoiner, a Gen Zer, and an economics student at the University of Victoria in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. We are diving into the Bitcoin generation gap today and having a conversation with Zach about how young people are talking about and thinking about Bitcoin. I think it's a really fascinating subject because the, the world that university students grew up in is is vastly different than the one the, the middle-agedish people like me did and uh, you know that sort of means that they have different concerns and, and fears about the future than we did and uh, they also have a different way of interacting with and understanding technology because of how normal a lot of these things that might be scary and weird to us old farts and so I enjoyed hearing Zach's take on on a lot of these different subjects. And um, I was just very impressed by the quality of his ideas and his maturity. And so I, I hope you uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. I want to thank everyone for tuning in as our first kind of year of the Block Reward uh, wound to a close. We're just ecstatic about the reception so far and the number of people who are taking the time out of their week to tune in and listen. Um, we really hope that the conversations are hitting the mark and creating some value for you. And really excited about a number of the guests that we have lined up over the next couple of months. So be sure to like and uh, subscribe on whatever platform that you are following us on. Sure appreciate a positive review if you can take the time to give us one. We're trying to reach as many people as possible with this message because we think it's important. And, uh, and you can help us by uh, helping us get the word out. And I just want to take one more quick mention, a uh, quick moment to mention uh, the other work that we're doing at Block Rewards, the Block Reward podcast is just one thing that we're doing to uh, to support our core effort, which is Block Rewards is a Canadian company dedicated to helping Canadian employers figure out how to incorporate Bitcoin into the way that they think about recruiting and retaining staff. And uh, Bitcoin is is a new technology that people are working to or struggling to understand. That's going to be something that changes fast over the coming years. And it, it's really going to impact the way people are compensated from their employers. We think Bitcoin is strategically something businesses can do to not only be different, but to really get ahead and uh, position themselves to be successful as Bitcoin becomes more and more normalized as money and help their staff understand something by offering the Bitcoin in some form of their recruitment and retention strategies. So you can find out more information about that at our homepage, which is blockrewards.ca. And yeah, thank you again for tuning in and I uh, hope you enjoy this conversation with Zach. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Block Reward podcast. Our guest this week is Zach Gennard. Zach is a Gen Zer and a Canadian Bitcoiner. Uh, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk to today. Welcome, Zach. Thanks for having me, Scott. Maybe just as we uh, as we get started, can you tell us uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, 
and how we got uh, how how we got here with you um, being a young Bitcoiner. Totally. Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, an economics major uh, studying at the University of Victoria. Um, I'm in my fourth year, about to complete my bachelor's of economics. And during my time here, it was about two years into my degree when I first discovered Bitcoin um, in the during the pandemic in 2020. And I dove right in. I was super mystified and and curious about the idea of a, of a decentralized currency that no one could control. And that was limited in supply to 21 million coins. Um, right away, I could see there was value there because a fundamental driver of value in economics is scarcity. And Bitcoin possesses something we would call absolute scarcity in the dig- digital realm. That's a first. So I was very curious uh, about Bitcoin and I kind of dove into the rabbit hole from there. Um, and eventually that led me to taking charge of the Bitcoin club at the University of Victoria, where we focus on just bringing more awareness and uh, Bitcoin education to campus, to students. And I mean, we we get a we do a variety of kind of meetups. We do things like educational stuff, social stuff. Um, and we're kind of just like that, that central hub at the university for all things Bitcoin related. In addition to this, I also write a in Bitcoin and economics newsletter. That was sort of my way to get some of my work and thoughts onto paper uh, and share that with the world because I think Bitcoin content and education in general is, is super important. And I knew that sort of a big motivation behind doing doing something like that was the fact that I knew that a lot of my family and friends uh, weren't going to be tuning into like a Bitcoin podcast or or reading a Bitcoin books. But I figured, you know, if I started writing about this stuff and I showed my passion and my seriousness uh, about this asset, about this kind of new technology, they they might um, they might take it a little bit more seriously and they might uh, read my articles and things like that. Um, and then that all kind of culminated. Uh, and I am now working with Thea Bitcoin. They are a multi-sig company. They make a, an app for your iPhone where you can um, self-custody uh, your Bitcoin using multi-sig and they hold one of the keys for you and then you get the other two to to experiment how you want with your multi-sig setup. And so I'm leading uh, education with them, doing some writing and uh, doing some live Twitter spaces and things like that. Very cool. I, I'm so impressed by all of those accomplishments you, you've uh, been able to make happen already and I'm really looking forward to uh, digging into a few. Before we do that, I just want to start by asking this question. I'm asking everyone who comes on the show and uh, Bitcoin is in the in the eye of the beholder and and uh, has has a an appeal to different people in different ways. And in your way of looking at it, what what is Bitcoin? That's a great question, Scott. I mean, Bitcoin to me is money at the end of the day. And that might sound like a simple answer, but money is something that is so fundamental to the way our societies function, as I'm sure you know, as many viewers will also know. Uh, it forms the basis of all of our trading and savings and investment. And so when I started noticing a lot of things in the world that seemed very backwards, um, Bitcoin to me kind of like appears this solution. So to me, Bitcoin is is money. It's 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 a revolution and it's a solution to many of the problems that we are facing today. Love it. I think it's so interesting that um, somebody like you is paying attention to this stuff while you're in, uh, in in university. You're spending your time at a place where people are going to be there all day to to learn and think about the world and. Um, I'd love to I'd love to start there and just talk a little bit about Bitcoin on campus and uh, we'll we'll get to the Bitcoin club in a second but just just generally speaking in terms of your your impression or or if people must kind of know around campus that you're the Bitcoin guy Bitcoiner what is the average university student what's your take on what their impression of Bitcoin is one advantage that my generation and and the people I'm going to school with right now have uh, in terms of like Bitcoin adoption is the fact that they've grown up in a very digitally native way. So 
most people my age uh, experienced and witnessed the growth of some of the largest tech monopolies that we have today, like the Apples and the Googles. And we've watched the launch of, of every social media, you know, from Instagram to Facebook to, to TikTok. I mean, even Bitcoin, for example, in 2009 came to life. All of these, these massive technological advancements and digital revolutions of, of various things in our lives. So I think um, from that perspective, students uh, are very open to the idea of digital money. Like it's not, you don't get any of that, um, oh, it's digital, so it, it's not real. Like digital things to to us are, are very much real. It's a very much uh, normal part of life. Um, so from that angle, there's it's a really easy entry point, but really it comes down to uh, education and awareness about it. The average student is is open-minded and they're curious about it, but and they've heard about Bitcoin, but they still do not, they haven't, uh, you know, taken that leap and, and truly studied it much or thought be much beyond it and uh, outside of it kind of, you know, some narratives that get formed in media, you know, Bitcoin is bad for the environment, Bitcoin is this or that, you know, there is a little bit of, there's definitely some misconceptions. So we do spend a lot of time kind of clearing through those and then explaining the basics of Bitcoin. But really in the, in the average student's mind, um, I think they're they're very open minded and they're very curious to to learn more about Bitcoin. Um, and but I think they just need need a place where they can they can do that and um, you know be provided with resources and guidance because as much as you know it's a it's a simple technology it's also very novel and so it's it'll take a little bit of time for for students to fully come around on that. Yeah, Bitcoin itself is is an, a neutral technology, but it can be viewed sometimes as being you know more identified with the conservative values or or those that who may be more interested in and may have those values. It, it could be and universities, particularly in Canada, uh, obviously tend to be sort of incubators for for more leftist type thinking. Um, do you find that, that that's a big sort of general obstacle or how does Bitcoin, you know, how, how do you present Bitcoin ideas while disarming this kind of, uh, you know, unnecessary, uh, worry about what Bitcoin's, uh, political motivations are? Yeah, totally. So, so for starters, I com- I completely agree with what you said. Like, I think when you're, when you're in the community and you're interacting with Bitcoiners in general, I think you do sort of notice a slight right bias or, or tendency among, on, among its constituents. Um, in terms of what I see from students, I actually find that to be pretty much non-existent. Most people have not um, identified Bitcoin at all with any political stance or, or party or anything like that quite yet. And that, I think, mostly stems from the fact that they don't necessarily understand it a lot. I think it's really obvious when you're, it might become more obvious when you're involved in the community that there might be, you know, like a little bit of a a political lean to it. But like you said, Bitcoin is is truly neutral money for everyone, right? It doesn't matter what kind of politics you agree with. Um, so I think in terms of like where the students are um, and not having attached any sort of like political ideology to Bitcoin yet is is a really wonderful place to be. Because at the end of the day, Bitcoin is, is not political as much as it may become politicized in our political systems. Uh, at the end of the day, we do have to remember that it is neutral money for everybody. Uh, and that's something that I always try to reinforce that idea and 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 remind people that um because i i don't know about yourself but um you know i grew up a, a bit more left-leaning i would say center left um and after discovering bitcoin i would say i kind of fell back more into just like right down in the center but more than anything i've just become less political i've become i've come to this point where i'm not relying on our elected officials to solve the problems that we are seeing in the world today uh, i'm taking more matters into my own hands and and putting my thought, my energy, my weight, and my time behind technologies like Bitcoin that I think that can actually address the the issues we're seeing, right? 
so I grew up in Alberta for Canadian listeners. Uh, and uh, so I, I think I sort of came up in the opposite end of the spectrum. But I completely agree with you. I, I think that governments have become sort of hopelessly intertwined with the fiat system and the, the broken incentive mechanisms that result. And at this point, I, I'm still surprised how many people who are in Bitcoin think that an election resulting in their team winning the outcome is going to produce some kind of a favorable the systems entirely, I think, need to be redesigned. And, and I believe Bitcoin is the thing that's going to enable that sort of transition to something that is more fair and representative for everybody. University faculties themselves have actually be, be shifted to the left. There was sort of a, a change in the late 60s where the percentage of left versus right leaning professors that were getting tenured started to to sort of to skew to the left. And it's, it's, it's certainly true in economics. I find uh, this really interesting thing because when you start reading Bitcoin books, the economics of Bitcoin are uh, based around something called, you know, Austrian economics, which does kind of run opposite to a lot of what is considered uh, or maybe what is taught uh, in, uh, in economics, university economics classes. These are the kind of ideas around inflating the money supply, social spending, etc. Um, without outing anybody, you don't need to name names, but uh, I'm fascinated by you're an econ student at a major university. Do your professors, they, do you think your professors understand Bitcoin? No. Short answer, no. And that's mostly, again, due to not having taken the time to understand it all. You know, I think... It, we're at this weird point where everyone has heard of Bitcoin, but really like a very small percentage have taken the, that time to, to truly understand this technology and, and understand its nature. Um, and that results in kind of Bitcoin becoming this super misunderstood technology. Um, but to, to go back to what you were saying before, like I, I completely, um, I see it myself, uh, like in, in my econ classes and with the professors that I've had, um, it actually wasn't until my my fourth year this last semester, the first time I ever had an e econ prof uh, mention the words Austrian economics. So like, you know, they are um, classes are I, I wouldn't say it's like, you know, um, completely Keynesian, but like the idea of like neoliberal economics kind of just focusing on the laws of supply and demand and how that affects things. But there is definitely like a lean towards Keynesian economics over something like Austrian economics and to the point where basically they don't really teach you Austrian economics at all, which I think is a, a massive oversight because a lot of people, what they don't realize is that economics isn't like a, it's not a hard science and there isn't really a lot of like settled facts within economics. In fact, what's really happened is you have different schools of economics all kind of competing against each other with different theories and, and models. Uh, and my view, having kind of first studied university economics and then kind of diving into Austrian economics in my free time is that Austrian economics has a lot more, um, I think it's more grounded in reality and like it just intuitively makes more sense um, than all these kind of like loops and and jumps that Keynesian economics kind of employs to, to make things work and to make it understand and the assumptions that are needed in, in these situations. And so, yeah, for the most part, when I've talked to, to faculty in terms of like professors and things like that uh, about Bitcoin, they usually are very, very skeptical. Um, you know, I've, I've had them say things like, oh, but you have to manage a password. So it's just not going to work. People can't manage passwords. They're going to lose their Bitcoin. You know, very elementary concerns that are like, well, but, you know, managing your password, managing your seed phrase is what on um, that that level of responsibility is, a, is what empowers users of Bitcoin and, and unlocks the full potential of, of this asset, right? So, you know, very, 
very surface arguments and things like that that just show that they haven't taken the time to look into this fully. Um, and it's and really, ultimately, I kind of just see Bitcoin kind of blindsiding them, right? Like they're they're teaching this thing and they've built their careers around uh, specific things that they've done and contributions that they've made and and their teachings. And Bitcoin comes in and it kind of ob- obliterates so many of the things that you know Keynesian economics has been saying um, and they've been teaching and they've been studying and working on. So I can understand how there's a bit of of hesitancy, right? And you know, I think that will kind of go away as as Bitcoin continues to pro- proliferate more and on the global economy and on the global stage. But it's it's definitely a bit of a hurdle right now. Yeah, it's kind of like this idea that uh, the pyramids in Egypt might actually be way older than a lot of historians have thought they were. But there's almost no appetite to investigate that theory because of the number of people who uh, whose careers would be discredited as a result. Yeah, yeah, you make a really great point. You know, and going back to one point before this idea of how we're at this funny point in time where uh, everybody, just about everybody, unless you've been living under a rock, has heard the word Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is an incredible brand considering there's no marketing team behind it, but very few people have really still uh, looked closely at it and tried to understand, you know, uh, tried to understand what it is and what it means. And uh, this is true for financial services professionals and it's true for academics. And yeah, so 20 years from now, I would say the likelihood that there are entire courses devoted to Bitcoin in university, if universities still exist in the same way, that's probably going to happen. So we're in this weird time where uh, you're going, you know, you'll be able to tell 20 year olds when you're my age that uh, there were there wasn't even a class on Bitcoin when you were in university. That's uh, it's a pretty weird thing to think about. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Bitcoin Club at, at UVic. I'm I'm really interested in this. I'd just love to hear a little bit more about it. Totally. Yeah. So I've been running the club as president uh, for about a year year and a half now. I believe it kind of seemed like a natural next step for me uh, after I had dove down the rabbit hole and felt like I'd gained a, a strong enough grasp about Bitcoin and, and its fundamentals. And you know. Bitcoin kind of just invokes like a very large amount of passion in individuals. And we see this all around the community, like people very much evangelize Bitcoin because they're so passionate about it. And it's something I, I I love, right? Like I, and so I sort of went through the same experience where I learned about it and it was just like, all these, these connections went off in my brain and, and it felt like I discovered fire or something like that, you know, like it, it's, it's totally crazy. And so that really inspired me to want to to bring Bitcoin awareness uh, to my friends, to my family, and that's sort of how it started. And then I realized, you know, I could take this a step further, and I could actually, you know, set up a set up a student body on campus and and have a place where students can can learn about Bitcoin and come to come to us with with questions about this new technology and stuff like that. Uh, so it's been about a year and a half now where, where I've been running the club. We're a pretty small team right now, uh, about six of us, but we've been doing what we can. We we host regular meetups. So about every second week, we'll host uh, an educational or a, a social meetup. So sometimes we'll we'll cover various topics, um, you know, like just like Bitcoin basics or, you know, debunking Bitcoin myths or talking about Bitcoin in the environment and, and helping like clarify a lot of things that you know traditional media might have muddied the water a little bit where people have misconceptions. Um, stuff like that. And then we also do uh, social social meetups where, you know, we just meet up for some food and drinks and we just have a good time. We chat, we talk about the economy, we talk about investing, we talk about Bitcoin. And yeah, so it's it's been a really rewarding experience getting to kind of like bring Bitcoin awareness to to my campus. And, you know, just the the connections and the acquaintances I've made and the conversations I've had have been, it's been a really awesome journey. Very cool. We run a local Bitcoin meetup where I live in Kelowna that's, that's also sort of uh 
small and budding. And uh, I, I imagine that a Bitcoin meetup university would be probably very similar just with beer pong. Uh, but are you guys in, in touch with other, are there Bitcoin groups like this at other universities that you're aware of? Or is this, a, is this thing u- unique to you, Vic, and you guys? Or That's a great question, Scott. Actually, so this is sort of a, a new project I'm also working on that I, I didn't mention before. But um, basically, uh, myself and other uh, Gen Z Bitcoiners who are in the university space um, have actually come together. And right now we are working on something called the Bitcoin Student Network. And basically, it, the idea is to have sort of an umbrella brand that connects uh, Bitcoin clubs across the world um, and have a way to to provide resources um, and to ver- provide, you know, industry speakers and, and things like that to these clubs around the world, help them get going and sort of like, you know, help them get off, get off the ground, get interest going, have people who can who can come to meetups and speak with them, provide resources for for Bitcoin related events and stuff like that. And so that's something that uh, I and a couple other um, uh, younger Bitcoiners are, are currently working on, um, which is a really fun project. That's really exciting. Yeah, that's really exciting. I have this thought of the, you know, there's that that meme that goes around on Bitcoin Twitter a lot. And it's the dude who's in the back corner of the party room thinking some thought in his head. And, and it's like, there must be a lot of scenarios where it's like this. They, they don't know what I know about Bitcoin or something like this. What What are the, if you were, if you're, when you're talking to, you know, kind of fellow students of people your age, what are the one or two or three things that you find are the most effective way? Like, is, is there a way that you kind of talk about Bitcoin to make it make sense for people when you're trying to do that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I would say my sort of go to go to way to do this is really to meeting people where they're at. So learning something about somebody kind of understanding, you know, what are the issues that they're worried about in the world today? What do they care about? And kind of approaching Bitcoin um, from that angle, because Bitcoin is is a very multifaceted technology and it kind of touches on a lot of different areas of life. Um, and, you know, as kind of we were chatting before, um, Generation Z, there is like a, a prevailing sense of kind of hopelessness in the face of a lot of global challenges that we're facing right now. Uh, and I'm not... Um, like, you know, uh, environmental issues, you know, whether that's environmental destruction or climate change or just pollution in general, or you have social issues or you have issues with human rights or you're having economic issues like the inflation or the high levels of debt and the wealth inequality and all these different things. And we're bombarded with this constantly through legacy media. And it's really curated this, you know, like I know people who truly think the world is not going to last past our lifetimes. And it's sort of really scary to, to, to see this kind of perception of hopelessness. So I usually kind of try to, to meet people where they're at, see, see what they care about, learn, learn a bit about them, and then kind of dive into how Bitcoin can, can help them address the, the things that they care about personally, but also how Bitcoin can, can uh, help us advance on, on, on a societal level and towards the goals that we have and, and the problems we're facing. Yeah, it's tragic that, uh, you know, I think, even things like uh, I talk often with friends of mine, I, you know, I have a casual kind of interest in what's happening in the AI space. And I can't imagine what it what it would mean for someone who's finishing up uh, post-secondary studies and thinking about entering the workplace and watching this technology simultaneously evolve at a rate that is just frightening. So for to, to just maybe dig a little bit deeper on that first point you made about um, lack of optimism around the future. 
what do you tell people about Bitcoin and uh, and how you think it could change that? Yeah, I often come at it like a lot of these fears are are, are environmental fears. Um, the severity of a change in climate has really uh, impacted at least the students that I meet at my university. Um, and this idea that basically, you know, the, the world is, is going to end at some point in our lifetimes uh, because of, of, of human-induced pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and so I usually kind of address uh, that, that the side of Bitcoin that relates to the environment because a lot of people have very serious environmental concerns. So I like to, to, to talk about, you know, the Bitcoin's ability to kind of bring about like a sustainable energy revolution, um, you know, help, help build out renewable energy, more clean energy, its ability to mitigate wasted and stranded energy from, from flared gas or vented methane, you know, landfills, leaking methane, things like that. Um, its ability to, to, to ultimately bring about systemic change, right? Because I don't think we're going to solve a lot of these issues from the systems that we currently have and the institutions we currently have. In fact, I would argue these systems and institutions are the reasons we're facing these, these problems in the first place. And I do believe that we need systemic change if we're going to address really the, the social, the environmental and the economic problems that we're facing today. So, you know, the idea that Bitcoin can, can bring about systemic change and bring forward a new monetary order and a new monetary system that's more fair and more equal and all these other pieces where, you know, how Bitcoin relates to, to energy and the environment. Um, and then also, of course, like economic problems, like lots of people, lots of folks in my generation think they'll never be able to afford a home or, you know, the, the, the idea of inflation hasn't fully um, grasped them yet. You know, when you live in a, in, a, in a Western democracy that has relatively stable currencies compared to, to other places in the world, you know, inflation doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But, you know, when we start seeing higher levels of inflation, I think people are really going to start being more concerned about that, too. So I always, always Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin fixes inflation. Bitcoin doesn't have inflation, that kind of thing. Like those sorts of points are, are I think, are kind of help people see how Bitcoin can um, bring about positive change in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think that's unique to uh, people in a certain generation. Uh, I would say certainly most people my age, while they're upset about inflation, it's still so just poorly understood the mechanisms of how it works and where it's going. So have you ever had anyone, you know, the things you're talking about there, it, it takes, it takes a fair amount of study to wrap your mind around those concepts and to, to be able to even get there. Uh, have you ever had a situation where somebody who's sort of, um, really concerned about climate stuff is, is unwilling to even hear it, hear it because they've already decided, uh, made up an opinion about Bitcoin without really knowing uh, why any of, of those points you made might might make sense. Yeah, absolutely. There are some very, uh, I guess we could just say kind of extreme opinions. Uh, as with any topic, there are kind of extremists on every side. And I think there's definitely some people I've met that, you know, because Bitcoin uses energy, therefore it is bad for the environment, which, you know, once you've done more than maybe like five hours, five to 10 hours of studying and learning how Bitcoin interacts with energy and you know, also considering the environmental impact of our, of our current systems and like the traditional financial system and the banks and how they're tied to the fossil fuels and all of these other things. I, I mean, I think the, the blame is, is totally misplaced, right? Bitcoin is a new technology um, and it is incentivizing renewables. It is mitigating emissions from stranded energy. It is promoting systemic change that can bring forth a decrease in consumerism and the idea of infinite growth. And overall, this technology has been responsible for 0% of the environmental damage over the past century. And yet it's taking 
pretty much like an outsized level of blame. You know, we have people like the, I think it was the IMF or the, the World Economic Forum who claimed it would consume all the energy in the world by 2020. And then meanwhile, we have a traditional financial system, the traditional financial system itself, you know, arguably a main driver of the environmental destruction that we've seen, maintain significant ties to to fossil fuels, funneling billions of dollars in when they, you know, they claim they're they're not or whatever. And yet it seems to just be getting off scot-free. So I think it's kind of just a situation where people aren't um they're misplacing the blame on on something that really has no no real environmental impact, right? Like Bitcoin mining is is a um entirely electric process. It does not emit any emissions at all. It all depends on the source of energy used. So like if you think Bitcoin mining is bad for the environment, you must also think electric cars are bad for the environment or really anything that uses electricity. Yeah, or things that are a lot less valuable to society than providing fair money for everyone. Like uh, YouTube uses significantly more electricity than Bitcoin is. And I'm yeah. pretty sure that if we were to try to uh, stack up the uh, existentials or contribution to society of the two side by side, I'm fairly comfortable that Bitcoin would, would come out pretty good in that comparison. Uh, it's I don't blame people for being confused about the stuff from the environmental perspective, especially people your own age. You know, I think about things like Greenpeace has accepted a, a basically a bribe from a cryptocurrency company called Ripple and in, and engaged in it in an entirely disingenuous uh, mismarketing campaign to slap Bitcoin with a number of different um well, just uh, untrue uh, stereotypes and the brand Greenpeace itself, I think, still carries a lot of weight. And I, I could be off on that. But uh, yeah, so it's it's really sad to see. Uh, you, you mentioned infinite growth, which is sort of is an intrinsic component of the way the, the financial and banking system works now. The idea of everything, the price of everything needs to go up forever. Or essentially, everything is going to collapse because of the amount of money that we that everybody owes but that same force is what's causing the the bleak future financially in terms of people your age thinking about maybe one day owning a house and and uh that must be a really interesting conversation to have with people your age yeah it it really is i mean even just like well that's the thing about bitcoin right like i i spent about two years studying what we'll just call university economics before I discovered Bitcoin and started learning a new kind of economics and realizing that a lot of the assumptions I had made were simply wrong. You know, when they're teaching you economics at university, you don't really talk about the money that you use. It's sort of just assumed as a given. And not a lot of time is really dedicated to thinking about these sort of like fundamental concepts, like why does the money supply need to expand? Why do we need inflation? Like, these are just assumed, right? Like, like it's it's totally like 2% inflation. Like that's just a bullet point on the slide assumption for the rest of your four years in economics. And there's no there's no like examination given to that or or thoughts on like, you know, like how is that true? And when you realize that, I mean, to be fair, in the way the current financial system works, you do need inflation because the government needs to be able to service its debt and it can't do that if there's deflation. So in the way our monetary system works, it's an inflationary monetary system. It is inherently does need these things. But you can have a different kind of monetary system, a new monetary system, a built on Bitcoin, a deflationary monetary system. And these things actually can work. The problem is, is you know, it's kind of like the idea that I think Jeff Booth popularized, just like you can't sort of, a, you can't imagine how the system is going to work from within the system we're already in, right? So kind of countering a lot of those ideas of like, you know, inflation versus deflation and the continuous need for for growth and for that constantly growing money supply um, and realizing that these assumptions aren't necessarily true. 
and exploring what the possibilities beyond these assumptions are. And 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 I think Bitcoin kind of like reinvigorates these questions and and reinvigorates these ideas and economics, and ultimately will kind of, from what I can tell, and for, in my opinion, will prove these these concepts true, which I think is a, a beautiful thing. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, Save Dean quotes is uh, if we've if we've just accepted it point blank that two percent inflation is better than zero percent why is four percent not better than two <laughs> and uh and it's just you know it's just a funny way of making light of the absurdity that we we don't even examine the sort of fundamental mechanisms and, and this is happening it's not like this is unique to university economics like if you if you're looking at the headlines of the globe and mail and uh financial news um they're just talking about you know, there's a lot of conversation about whether or not or when we're going to get back to target inflation. And nobody's talking about whether or not we should, that's, that's what we should even be trying to do. So, uh, it is, it is a, yeah, it is just an absurd part of the system. And I, I absolutely agree with what Jeff says about, um, evaluating the system from inside the system is, is just almost impossible. You mentioned there kind of the, the idea of, uh, of transitioning towards a deflation. And you wrote a really good article I saw in your Substack in the summer about the idea of, of Bitcoin sort of triggering the price of everything else coming down. Maybe just give me a, a, a two minute overview of, uh, of that idea and, your, and the summary of that article. It was worth a read. Yeah, totally. I mean, basically, it's the idea that, that Bitcoin is, is the superior store of value asset. Um, and not the whole world has not recognized that. In fact, a very small subset of the population have, have recognized that Bitcoin possesses the, the monetary characteristics that make it the best store of value asset we, we've ever discovered. And then on the flip side of that, you have assets, whether we're talking about equity or real estate or even gold, bonds, everything that have been massively inflated by decades of monetary stimulus especially the last, you know, 10, 15 years since 2008, since it's just been QE for, for a decade plus until about now, you have these massive inflated asset bubbles all around the world. So in the article, I kind of lay out the assumption, like, you know, if, if we assume that Bitcoin is, is what it, we say it is, it is this superior store of value asset, and we consider the amount of money that is out in the world in other assets, it's safe to assume that as Bitcoin continues to evolve and grow and, and gets more investors, it's going to suck value from these other asset classes, from real estate, from stocks, um, because these things are, are, are highly inflated. And why are they inflated? And that's because people are looking for a way to, to preserve their wealth, right? With inflation, um, you know, if you have 2% inflation, you're losing 2% of your, your money every year. And, you know, realistically, that's not a, an accurate measure of how much the money supply is growing. It's actually growing around 7% per annum. So, you know, if you're losing 7% of your, your total net worth every year, you need, you need to invest that. You need to put that somewhere. And so the fact that our money has inflation, it doesn't act as a store of value, means that people need to put their capital use elsewhere to preserve their purchasing power. And that has resulted in people piling into things like real estate and stocks and and massively inflating their their um their valuation beyond what what their their fair value is. So that they now have something called a monetary premium. So yeah, so in the article I basically lay out how Bitcoin as a superior store of value will sort of absorb monetary premium from other assets. Yeah, I would think for people your age who are feeling bleak about their financial prospects for the future. This would be a great way for them to start thinking about why Bitcoin is a good idea. And, and it's no different for, for people who are a little bit older and, and just is equally frustrated by the, the price of everything else. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I love this concept and I, I think it makes a ton of sense. I mean, for me personally, and we'll, we'll include in the, uh, in the post show notes, sort of a, a link to your, uh, sub stack. So people can find that if they want to read it. Let's talk a little bit about Thea. I think it's really interesting that you've, uh, you've sort of found yourself some Bitcoin, uh, industry work while you're, uh, while you're also pursuing your studies. How did, uh, how did that come about? Yeah, I kind of owe it to just the, the proof of work I was doing on, on Twitter and with my sub stack really, um, like I was saying, you know, Bitcoin invoked a lot of passion in me and, and, and made me want to, to put my energy and time behind it. So, you know, I kind of started off, I, I never was a big Twitter user. I, I had a Twitter account and I, I heard my friend told me that that's like where the Bitcoin community was. And then I had no idea. And I, and I, so I started going on Twitter and I started tweeting about Bitcoin. Eventually you get into like those Bitcoin circles and in the Bitcoin algorithm on Twitter. And I started, you know, I was just tweeting my thoughts about the economy, about Bitcoin, started getting some followers, eventually got to a point where I was like, okay, so people are kind of enjoying what I have to say. Um, what if I take this the next step and I start like writing longer form articles on my thoughts about Bitcoin and its intersection with economics? Uh, so I, earlier this year, I started writing, writing the Substack, um, and at the time was sort of thinking to myself, you know, I'm coming close to graduation. I've been studying economics. Like Bitcoin is something I'm super interested in. I'm passionate about, and I've I've gained a large knowledge set around. So it became something where I was kind of like, well, I don't really want to work, you know, in the traditional financial system or for a bank or, or or for the government or something like that, which is a really common pathway for people who have been studying economics. I think that's like, you know, like the university is sort of just like churning out economists for the government and the banks. Um, <laughs> For, to, 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 to use and reinforce all their stuff. So I, I sort of was like, I would like to work in Bitcoin. And so I just kept putting my work out there and making as many connections as I can. And, and eventually, actually, um, Smeet, who is one of the co-founders of uh, Thea, reached out to me and we hopped on a couple calls and we kind of just got talking. Um, and so they're, they're a relatively small company. They just launched on the, on the App Store. We're a pretty small team right now. But uh, he basically invited me onto the team to to help out uh, steering like the education side of things. Um, and I felt, you know, that was something that not only was was a good chance to get some experience in the Bitcoin industry, but also something I'm 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 very interested in just because I love to I love to talk about Bitcoin. I love to write about Bitcoin. So why not help a Bitcoin company, um, you know, build their brand and, and get that awareness and stuff? That's so cool. When you were talking a little bit about the at the outset of the show, you used a few terms that would probably be new for at least. Uh, listeners of this show as it's kind of a, a for beginners podcast maybe take a stab at explaining what multi-sig is for somebody who who really doesn't know much about how bitcoin wallets work totally yeah so to keep it as simple as i can i'll start by explaining what what single signature is and basically that uh single signature would be like if you have a hardware device like a blockstream jade or a ledger or something like that and so your wallet your bitcoin wallet has one one private key for it so what multi-sig is, is basically instead of just having that one private key to access your wallet, you can set up a quorum of a certain amount of keys to be able to access a wallet. So for example, at Thea, uh, we offer a two of three multi-sig quorum. And so what that means is basically there are three keys associated with your wallet at any time you would need two of them to access the, and spend the Bitcoin. Um, so how Thea functions is they hold one of the keys and then they you are given the other two keys to disperse um, amongst uh, you can have them yourself or you could give a key to a friend or you could dedicate it to a different hardware device in a different geographical location. There's lots of like um, ways to kind of customize your multi-sig setup. But the main thing is that it enhances the security because now you don't have a single point of failure. So with a single signature 
Bitcoin wallet, if you lost your private key, you risk losing your Bitcoin forever, right? Because those are the, the keys. You know, if your, your wallet malfunctioned after that, you wouldn't have access to your Bitcoin. But if you set up a multi-sig, uh, like a, with a collaborative custody, like with a company like Thea, if you ever lose one of your keys, it's okay. Because now, let's say you gave one to a friend, your friend has a key and Thea still holds a key. So they're able to recover your funds for you. So you're sort of, you're, you are dispersing the, the, the risk of like theft or loss, basically, uh, and having sort of like a backup through a level of trust with this company and with friends or family or, or, or wherever you decide to, to do with the other key. Yeah. I think a lot of people who are, are trying to start learning about Bitcoin, you know, custody, taking possession of your own financial assets is a really different idea, especially for people who are older and. It is clunky right now. I think it has a lot, some risk and a lot of room to be improved. And this multi-sig idea is something that I think has a ton of legs and a bright future. How does it work for people who are listening? So does this service cost a fee or? Yeah, so Theo offers multiple different ways that you can set up the multi-sig. Um, but if you consider the, the main one for, for beginners and people coming to the app will be the suggestion to, to have a two of three multi-sig where Thea holds one of the keys. And there would be like, it's sort of like, you can think of it as sort of a subscription. But what, what really is cool about this is that Thea operates all through a mobile app. Um, so it really like the UX and it really streamlined the, the, the design and the interaction with your Bitcoin and stuff like that. So it's a, a very um, like user-friendly um, experience. Cool. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I mean, everybody pays fees to their bank all the time and you have no say on those things. So the idea that you might have to uh, have to pay for something that's going to give you some peace of mind in terms of how easy it is and how safe it is to store your Bitcoin is something that to me that makes a lot of sense. So what exactly do you do for them? You're you're doing some some pro com promotional stuff, right? It's a good question. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sort of just steering the education side of things, but the job has been a little multifaceted so far. So I do some writing, kind of doing like resources and guides, you know, covering basic concepts, uh, some technical stuff, some economic stuff. But I'm also doing a lot of kind of like more like analyst stuff where, you know, I'm, I got to always got to be keeping up to date with, uh, you know, the main events in the economy. What's, you know, macro talk. And we've actually been hosting um, a live Twitter spaces every Wednesday at 2 p.m. East uh, Pacific time called the West Coast Bitcoin Bowls. And we get on there uh, and I get on there as a speaker and, you know, we, we chat macro, we chat Bitcoin. We've had a lot of like really great uh, speakers and guests so far. So yeah, I'm just sort of steered a bit of the, like content education stuff. Cool. So you mentioned that you're in your last year of your undergrad degree. Where is this going to go from here? I'm even less than a year now. I literally will be taking my finals in one month today. I have my last final exam ever. And then I will have my bachelor's of economics. Um, and then I'm, I'm graduating in the spring, but I'll be completed all my, uh, my studies. And yeah, I mean, basically want to put my time and energy full time into Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, and just basically, you know, getting as much experience in the space as I can and then connecting with everyone that I can. And I'm really excited to kind of like get to just focus fully on Bitcoin, the Bitcoin industry and, and, and bringing Bitcoin to the world, really. It must be, you know, like the, the flip side, I think about um, how cool it would be for somebody your age to be just starting their career at a time when it's, it's possible to do this with Bitcoin. Like, yeah, I think it must be, you must have some really interesting ideas. And, and it's a funny thing about how also, you know, this, the digital generation. So people your age, you mentioned that you've grown up with all these digital things and it's digitally normal. You guys are also the first generation or maybe second ish 
that's your entire lives are going to be captured online. So theoretically, like somebody could be watching this episode in 20 years and uh, looking at like, oh, this this is when Zach was, uh, you know, hadn't even got started yet. So uh, who knows? Maybe this will uh, turn out to be some kind of a something people lo- are looking back on with, uh, you know, fond memories of the, uh, your early days. Totally. If no one else is looking, I will be, I, you know, like... <laughs> to to look back on these moments and you know to see whether that's some podcast that I did or or the writing I was doing when I was you know 23 years old I think it'll be su- super cool to be able to look back on that especially uh as we see bitcoin grow and 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 the community grow and just in general there'll be a lot of fond memories I think yeah I I, I just I want to say like I, I also think it's really cool that uh somebody your age is sort of stepping forward into a, a place of leadership and you know bitcoin there is no marketing department and people learn easiest learning from other people so this idea of what you guys are doing with the bitcoin club on campus and and uh building a network and and stuff it's um it's something that that you know other people younger than you are are definitely going to pick up and follow and i think it it's just cool to see people your age taking uh taking this kind of initiative and uh i'm personally excited to watch and see where it ends up for you i really appreciate that scott um yeah i think like I think there's a lot of opportunity in this space. Like it, it's going to be, it's a fast growing industry. I mean, the halvings in five months, who knows where it's going to take us next. So, you know, like to all the youngsters out there, if you're, if you're interested in finance economics and you like technology as well, I feel like Bitcoin is a, is a wonderful place to be. Very cool. So for people who do want to find more of you on, on Twitter and your Substack, like how do they do that? Yeah, totally. Um, easiest is to just follow me on Twitter. I've got my username in the, in the handle here on the, on the video. And from there, you know, there's a there's a link to my Substack there. And then in terms of of the work I've been doing for Thea, um, they've got a blog on their website, thea.us slash blog, I think it is. So they'll be I'll be putting my some of my work there. And then we're we're also going to be going live on Twitter lots. So really, if you're if you're on Twitter, you're following me. You'll you'll get all the updates. Cool. And if you're listening and you're a Bitcoiner and you're in a university somewhere else. Or you're a Bitcoiner with a, a kid who's a Bitcoiner who's in university somewhere else. Get them in touch with Zach and uh, let's get a Bitcoin meetup and happening on every campus in Canada and and, uh, and anywhere else where people might find this pod. Absolutely. <laughs> My DMs are open. Thanks again for coming on, Zach. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Block Reward. We're trying to do something different here, creating accessible conversations meant for people who aren't obsessed with Bitcoin. If you found this episode informative and engaging, hit that subscribe button to make sure you stay updated with future episodes. Your feedback matters. We'd greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to share your reviews and help us with our goal of creating Bitcoin content that is simple and easy to understand. Bitcoin has an important role to play in the future of finance. It will change the way we save, spend, and invest. Discover why Bitcoin offers a game-changing opportunity for forward-thinking employers by visiting blockrewards.ca. BlockRewards' mission is helping Canadian employers implement strategies for integrating Bitcoin into compensation and benefits. Supercharge your recruitment and retention strategies and help your team members plan for the rising cost of living by rewarding their work with the hardest money ever invented. Special thanks to our top sponsor, Paramount Employee Benefits Consulting, Canada's only Bitcoin-forward benefits and pension advisory. For more information, find them at paramountbenefits.ca. Big shout out to Podigy, our production team that makes all this possible, and BMX Escape for producing our music. Bitcoin is an expansive and dense topic many people walk away from early. To Bitcoin enthusiasts looking for that podcast they can share with friends, family, and colleagues, one they'll actually listen to, we hope that is us. The content of these conversations is meant to be provided for information purposes only. Nothing here is investment advice. Bitcoin is a big topic. Be sure to do your own research before making any personal financial decisions. Thanks for listening. 